You're listening to the Bulldog Hour, getting you inside the Wilson football program with weekly game previews, recaps, highlights, and interviews. Now, here are your hosts, Joe Mays and Justin Raffoff. Good evening, everyone, and welcome back to the Bulldog Hour. I am one of your hosts, Joe Mays, and here with me, as always, is my co-host, Justin Raffoff. Yeah, it's uh, good to be here. Um, you know, we're we're back with another week, and uh, it's crazy. It won't, it's good. It's going to really set in when we get to that schedule slide. I know. <laughs> every time, every time, it's going to be fun. Though, because we're talking about our Wilson victory. Here we are, another victory Sunday for the Bulldogs faithful after a, a little bit of a nail biter against the Falcons. But we've been never a doubt, man. Allu- never a doubt. Well, we've been alluding to it now for a few weeks that this yeah. wasn't your same old Cedar Crest team we've seen by and large over the last 10, 12 years or so. And to be fair, if we allude to it on the show, it's safe to say, uh, we're definitely talking about it. Oh, yeah. Yeah, we were talking about it a lot over the last two weeks, especially this past week, saying, and I don't know, how's this going to go? Right. Like, I honestly was of the mindset that if we were ready to go, we'd be fine. And this is just the way my sports brain works is I'm never confident that the team I'm rooting for, whether that's Wilson or Penn State or the Eagles or the Phillies or, you know, like – you, you and I have addressed this before. We we set expectations and then go through it. So, like, we just talk to ourselves, hey, if they're ready to go, things are going to be fine. And you know what? The, the guys put in the work and they got the job done on Friday night. And that's that's good to see. Yeah, and that is the halfway point of the regular season. And Crazy. Wilson sits at 3-2 and two with the victory over Cedar Crest, which we will dive into again momentarily. But first up we do want to thank the sponsors of the bulldog hour and that would be the presenting sponsors for season nine is may's sandwich shop and my dad bill mays as well as white star tours thank you very much to those two local businesses for supporting us here at the bulldog hour but they're not alone in addition to those presenting sponsors may sandwich shop and white star tours we also would like to thank mike drago of mike the Hop family, Andy Her, and our five anonymous donors. And we were been uh, conversing with uh, Mr. Andy Her recently. He yes. told us we didn't have to worry about things, that Wilson was gonna get the victory. This was what, like Thursday? Yeah, he, he told he was us confident. That he he felt he felt confident in, in that Wilson was gonna get it done. And um that that's great. That's great, but it did little to settle my nerves. <laughs> right. Yes, but we do appreciate the confidence coming from one of the sponsors of our, of our show. Absolutely. In addition to those sponsorships and advertising, our in-kind donations, as well as visiting the website, bulldoghour.com, make sure you always hit up social media and, uh, well, Justin's favorite. Yeah, like and share. Uh, people keep bringing that up to me now when I see people that are just like, like and share, and it like takes me a second, but... <laughs> Yeah, that's when you know you've made it big time. Oh Justin. yeah, of course, yeah, I'm you, kind of you, a big deal. You have something right. that <laughs> associates uh, you with uh, the the content you put out. You now right. have like a tagline. Right. Well, to be fair, like I've had a few people, like just in the last few weeks, who like I didn't know 
like I know who they are mostly around football, you know, like, Oh, I know that person, you know, you see them around, but like, and they're just like, they'll say something like, Hey, tell Joe this or tell Joe that. I'm like, <laughs> oh, I'll make sure I do that. <laughs> um, so yes, Eric listening says he wants to know how to sponsor the bulldog hour. So, uh, Eric, I, I will reach out to you. All right. Uh, hopefully after this show here right now, uh, if I remember it an hour from now when we're wrapping things up, but I will make sure that I, that I reach out very shortly our next live show will be in one week which will be october 1st believe it or not well now it's officially fall it is is you're right today or yesterday it was officially fall as opposed to all those september summer birthdays (laughs) sunday october 1st 8 30 we'll be back here to recap the rivalry game against mifflin which we will be previewing shortly and then preview game seven which will be down at landisville to take on Hempfield Black Knights. That's another one similar to um, which other game am I thinking about? Well, they wanted to do it with Roman Catholic. Didn't work out, but they wanted to avenge the losses from last year, and Hempfield's yeah. a big one yeah, uh, coming came up, up. Came up a bunch in, in the preseason, you know, the preseason talk, um, you know, interviews with, with a lot of the seniors. Um, that that, not so much like even, they were looking forward to the game, but more just that was a tough one to to take last year. Um, just kind of the way it, it happened, and um, you know, hats off to Hempfield. We mentioned it at the time that was that was a heck of a game. Uh, obviously, came out on the wrong side for our rooting interests, um, but that was a heck of a game. And hopefully, Wilson uh, can in, in two weeks get get the job done there. Yeah, but first off, will be the yes. Mifflin Mustangs, and we'll talk about that shortly. I do have the schedule up for those of you watching live, and we are now completely done with that left side of games. Roman Catholic Central Dolphin, MLK slash Cheltenham, Redding, and Cedar Crest. Wilson came out on top three of those five games, falling in overtime to Central Dolphin, and the opening game lost at Roman Catholic. I can't believe it's already in the end of September, but got a big one coming up this week for sure. And I halfway through the guaranteed games. Right. And I let you know last week, end of last week before the Cedar Crest game that I have my power ratings file completely done. And yes, I have simulated the entire season. That is not something I'm willing to go out public with, especially when you're guessing five weeks worth of games. I'm guessing, well, six weeks because it was before the games on Friday. So I was guessing six weeks worth of games for about 45 teams. So, so, so imagine um, the inaccuracies. Un- of- unrelated to the 6A rankings, most likely, but related to your picking, um, I saw you took the lead, I believe, in yeah. Drago's Fearless Friday forecast. <sighs> yeah. Um, however, I think everyone missed on the Kutztown pick. Everyone wow. did, yes, wow. because but, they beat Hamburg, surprisingly. But, right. But to the bigger point, like, there's just so many games, and it's high school football. It's really tough to pick all of those. So yeah, I've not, done again. Not that Kutztown Hamburg was really having a big effect on six A games, no. but the effect that I'm just that that is an example of why it's so hard. I think I'm like 54 and 10. You are in five you, weeks. Yeah, you are, and I think you. You might have the lead by one or, yeah, or two. Yeah, it's not a lot. It's very close. But you were like one or two off of it last week, I think. So you're doing pretty well. The frustrating thing is I will never pick against Wilson right. ever. Right. Like, no, I will. They are going 10 and no. That is my, right. my, the way that I will pick that forever right. and always. So th- there's 
my opponents know that they can try to get me a few weeks or they can right. be like, I'm going to pick up one there because I don't trust Wilson. Whereas I, not, not me, I do trust Wilson. That's why I'm always picking them. Right. But I know the competitors in the Fearless Friday football forecast on MikeDragosports.com, they, they want to get me. And I knew, I knew a bunch of them would try to get me with Roman Catholic, uh, which they did. Uh, Central Dolphin, actually only one person took Central Dolphin over Wilson. So that one didn't hurt me as, as, as much. Right, right. Uh, but Sean, Sean got me there with that game. Uh, I think there were a few people that took Cedar Crest this past week, though. Uh, that's not happening here, though. No way. Bulldog Hour rolls with Wilson all day, every day. That's right. So let's talk about that Cedar Crest victory. It was a great night. It was a fun night. It was a beautiful night. A little chilly on top of the, uh, <laughs> on top of the press box. All right, yeah, I just love how you you messaged me, you own sh- shorts or, or pants this week? Right. And I immediately was like, no holds barred, I'm wearing pants. Right, yeah, you left off the idiot, but I could, <laughs> I could, I could sense the don't be an idiot, wear long pants. Look, we are not on the coaching staff. We don't right, have no, to no, abide no. by any rules about wearing shorts, no matter the weather. But I, I just I wasn't I wasn't committing to that. And by the time we were already out there for pregame, I was like, I'm glad I'm wearing pants right now and not shorts. And I'm also glad I brought this jacket along with me. Right. It was perfect football weather though. Fantastic. Oh, oh it was not perfect. the stuff that happened yesterday and today. And I, I liked the post you had, like, can we talk about the sky? Yeah. Like yeah, it was and, and really I, cool. I wanted to say no filter because I don't use filters, but there is editing that goes in. But I made sure to not touch the colors because what right. I wanted to get across was those colors were real. And you can see it because so many other people took pictures right, right. too. It's not me going in there and adjusting things. That is what it looked like. It was fantastic. And I do remember for two years ago and, and years before, any time we've gotten nice weather down in South Lebanon, the sky always looked great because the game is kicking off just right. before sunset. Right, right. So it, it really was fantastic. Uh, excellent, excellent photo opportunities. I'm sure many, many other people uh, got the same pictures, but I had to share them because I didn't get to really tweet them out during the game. There's so much going on, uh, plays happening. I'm trying to get the photos done and moved to my phone and edited and posted to the social media. I didn't have time to just be like, can we take a second and just look at this guy? No, I need to get the score and I need to get the touchdowns. But afterwards, I figured now's a good time to say, can we talk about the way the game looked last night? Because it was fantastic, both in that capacity and on the field with a Bulldogs W. 21 to 13. Things looked even better at halftime, up right. 21 to 6. Wilson had gotten the momentum, scored twice in about 90 seconds near yeah. the end of the, the second quarter. And because was going to receive the ball to start the third quarter. You know, so right. like, yeah, you had a chance basically to, I know it wasn't really go three for one, but, you know, they talk about that two for one. If, you, if you're the team receiving to start the second half, if you score right before half, you know. And, it could and potentially either, be a 14-point swing. I was thinking, you know, later on, I'm like, you know what? Sometimes I feel like this is a bit oversold, but our guys have had some of this adversity this year already. Some of it didn't, some of it didn't work out in our favor. Like there was adversity week one, you know, didn't, didn't really work out. There was adversity week two didn't really work out, but we talk about those when we, we do it publicly on the show. We talk about how, you know what? You need to learn some lessons. You need to improve. You need to be ready to make that play the next time, right? Like that's right. and what happened? They had some adversity in this game and they made the plays. Like did they make every play? No. Like that's, you know, there's there's too many in a football game to make every single one. But you need 
to then put that play behind you and make the next one, right? And I actually that may come up in one of our player interviews in in a few minutes, but um, you you need to just make the next play. And um, I thought they did a really good job of that, kind of riding the highs and lows, and and not getting too high, and not getting too low, and you know when momentum would seemingly shift to Cedar Crest, they were able to make enough plays to not let it get out of out of control, you know, because that can snowball quickly. Um, and and Wilson did enough to not let it snowball um, too much, and and that that's the difference between winning and losing in in, in that game. Yeah, the Bulldogs first face adversity after going up seven nothing, and then surrendering a big play and a touchdown. Thankfully for Wilson, the extra point was missed, and they held on to a seven to six lead. Then, as we mentioned at the end of the second quarter, leading up to halftime, Wilson was able to uh, drive down the field and end up getting two touchdowns within just a, a few in-game minutes of each other to go into halftime up twenty-one to six. Um, the the second touchdown for Wilson was a a touchdown pass to Corral Akings from 34 yards that put Wilson up 14 to six. And then after I believe, yes, Cedar Crest went three and out. The Bulldogs took over and were able to fly down the field quickly and get a touchdown from uh, Tommy Hunsaker to Brady Klein. And that was set up by the, punt return by yeah. Ed Edison case. So it was a, uh, it, it was a great way to end the first half, but then the third quarter, you mentioned Wilson starting with the ball, receiving the kick. Uh, they were, they were moving the ball from the, their own 22 got past midfield. And then on play seven fumbled the ball away. So right. I did not have a clear view of this one. I don't know if you could see that one up there. I know, the team did not think that it was a fumble. So, I could not tell. So I can tell you that both both of the officials running in from the side were just marking it like down. Now they weren't running in saying he was down, he was down, he was down. Um, at first I thought, I'm like, oh man, somebody said he was down. But I, honestly, I think I was hearing one of our players say that. Um, so like, because at, at first I thought, you know, oh, and that's just me hearing what I want to hear. <laughs> you know? Right, yeah. But um, the guy from the back came in and they all talked and he said, yeah, and that, that was unfortunate. Cause I, I, I did not get a good view. So I, I do not know. Um, and like I said, my judgment on that all weekend has kind of been off. Like I, I was sitting at the Penn state game last night and I was convinced that the, convinced that, that the tight end, that the tight end was hit. That he his, was not that his arm, arm was down with the ball. And that's what caused it. To why pop it's out. nice to have multiple video replays and take the time to see it. I know that's right. tough in the stadium, right. but I could right. tell you guys right away that it also was my glasses were a little covered with like rain <laughs> with drops rain, and yeah. stuff. But um, so I, I just yeah. heard players and coaches talking, but it seemed that very few of the, the referees had a clear view of it. And this has come yeah. up before, I think, was it last year or just us talking about either college or pro football even? I, I don't recall. But if you don't have a consensus, why would you lean turnover? All right. You know, like if you don't have someone that saw it clearly and right. say 100% this is what happened, why would you not give you the benefit of the doubt to the team that already had the ball? Right. That is what is what always confuses right. me. How can you make that call unless you have someone that is saying it was absolutely a fumble? Right, right. But whatever, it is what it is. Cedar Crest did drive down the field then, nine plays, scored a touchdown. Uh, extra point was good, so 
it's uh, 21 to 13. Right. Momentum has shifted. Right. So now Cedar Crest has that momentum. Wilson goes uh, three and – well, not really three and out. Drive ends after three plays as a Tommy Hunsaker pass is picked off right. um, by Logan Oriole uh, – Deep inside, it was a good, Cedar good Crest, play. I think he was uh, at safety. I think he was at safety on that one. Yeah. Like it, he slid over because, and I the believe receiver it, or if it was Corral, I, I, I think, don't know. I think it was Corral down the like, field. Had his guy beat? He had his right. tier one defender, yes. cornerback, or yes. whatever beat. But Tommy either lofted too much or released it just a tad late that the safety right. was able to right. come over and and pick it off. So Cedar Crest gets the ball back, and that's where we get through the end of the third quarter into the fourth quarter. Uh, the Bulldogs force a punt. They get the ball back. So last two Wilson drives ended with a turnover. This drive is no different. Right. Three straight Wilson drives to open the second half, and now we're already in the fourth quarter. Another fumble by Wilson is recovered by Toronto from Cedar Crest at their 40, so they're pretty close to midfield. And now I'm sure you and I are just thinking – Oh boy, here we go. Why oh. can't anything be easy? Why can't we just get that that one play, that one right. drive to seal because, things? Because I can tell you at halftime, at halftime, the Cedar Crest stands. I can't speak for the team. I have no idea. But the stands, they seemed stunned. Because they'd won that it was twenty one six Wilson. They they beat Warwick in a in a close, crazy game. Over I think overtime. I think right? triple overtime. Okay. But all they're all of their other games. May have been mercy rule games. Like they they beat they beat yeah. pretty handily everyone else they played. So they they haven't had a ton of those close games and and games where they were like really losing and stuff. Um. So so just looking at it, it th- there was a bit of surprise that that the game was going the way it was going. You know, right before half because like it's it's close, it's close, and then we score those two touchdowns right before half, and we're getting the ball to start the second half. In my mind, I'm like, great, we get it, we get a good drive, we take it down, we score, make it 28 to six, right? And now we've got them right where we want them. You know what I mean? They're going to have to pick up the pace. They're going to have to. Yeah, it would have been way force, force the issue, and it just didn't work out that way. However, I mean, you know, obviously, um, they if you're weren't tuning they in, weren't mercy rule wins, okay, but they were okay. big wins. 24 yeah. nothing over Northeast out of. Philadelphia thirty three seven over CD East on a Thursday night, which is the one that caught my eye. Yes, exactly. Uh, then twenty nine to twenty three over Warwick. It's, it doesn't mention OT here, but okay. I'm pretty sure it was overtime. Right. I don't know if it was multiple. Overtimes. I don't know either. Then they and then they whooped up on Penn Manor forty two to thirteen before this past week. So it's you know they had they had one close game already with Warwick. Right, but they did. The other three were yes. pretty much in hand, and they looked very good in those. I, honestly. I don't feel any different about Cedar Crest after seeing them. I still no. think they're a tough game. They're I a tough think they're out. Very good. I'm hoping, guessing, expecting them to possibly be the third team in Section One because I still think it's probably going to be Wilson Township. I know Hemfield still has a say in that, although they just got beat up by Manheim Township, who everyone knows and has seen yeah. is the best team in Section One and probably the best team in District Three Six A. It's not. I don't even think it's close. Right, it, like, and, and it's no secret. It, right, and everyone can tell. They're, everyone sees what's going. Well, on. Well, like last week, they they just absolutely destroyed one of the contenders from District One in Springford, who had been undefeated coming into that game. You know that that's yeah, yeah. I mean, I I don't want to talk about the streaks too much, but 
I'm yeah. not sure how many. We'll do that in another month. Uh, yeah, but. I'm not sure how many points their starting defense has has given up, and right. their starting offense is averaging the lowest amount they've scored is 35. And at that point, I believe they had taken their starters out. And that was week one against Cumberland Valley. They've scored 56, 38, 63, and 48 since. Yeah. Haven't hit the 70 mark. Seen that, saw that happen today. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's not for a lack of trying. They probably could have if they wanted to. Oh, yes, so, they could have. Um, yeah, but so back to the Cedar Crest game. Cedarcrest has the ball now after the Wilson fumble close to midfield on their side at the 40, but they're just going to start to methodically move down the field. They got a bunch of consecutive rushes from Alex Abreu, including a 17 yard trot on first and 10 from the, just on the Wilson side of midfield at the 48. Uh, that kind of was the theme until they started to needing to pass. They got into a, a penalty for holding, and so Jackson Custer had to go to the air. He was very dangerous on the ground, yes. and he made a couple of very nice throws as well. But it was when he tucked and ran or when it was a design run to him that caused the biggest issues for the Wilson defense. Eventually, Cedarcrest got down all the way to Wilson's 20. So they're in the red zone. Uh, a false start penalty and then three stri- or two incomplete passes. And then finally, on a desperation fourth and 17, an interception from Edison Case in her first game back on the defensive side. So, yeah. The, and that, but at that point, I'm like, that's game's not over. No. Wilson's up by eight. They sowed some time out. Only one possession, 21 to 13. There's what, two, 230 ish left on the clock. And Wilson has the ball. Uh, I believe that was intercepted in the end zone. So Wilson started at their own 20, yeah. but needed some first downs because, like you said, I believe Cedar Crest had. At least two, if not three, timeouts remaining. I think they had all three. And just flashback, our last three possessions. Ended in turnovers. Ended in turnovers. Right. So what's Wilson going to do? Wilson's going to run the ball. First, Tommy gains a yard, timeout. Next, Carell gains four yards, timeout. Third and five, they give the ball to Fiorini, seven yards. Huge play. Yep. Huge play. Doesn't force a Wilson punt. New fresh set of downs. Fiorini again for two. Fiorini again for three. Now it's third and five. Cedar Crest takes their last time out with 103 left to go. So it's third and five. A first down ends it. A first down ends the game. But you need five yards. Right. And you what what was that now? That was five plays. So five plays where they know you're running the ball. Right. And you have to get the yards anyway. And that's that's tough to do. And, and we could have seen the team go into the dozer formation, which right. they didn't. Right. They came out in a formation that they have been using most of the second half in, in, to get their uh, their running game going. And a beautiful play fake. Oh, I love the play An execution from a well, beautiful play call by Coach Jeremy Palm, the offensive yeah. coordinator. And then the beautiful execution by the backfield, they especially Tommy Hunsaker. They were selling out to stop that they, run just like we had done. Yep. It was set up perfectly, executed perfectly for for Tommy. Man, and almost then, like almost kind of like boot, kind of like yeah, boot action. It felt like it. Perfect though. I mean, everyone sold out to stop that run, and he just looped around the end and uh, ended up going for twenty yards. They needed then, five, right? And but then, then he did the heady thing, right, slid down. Slid down. He probably could have scored. Oh, he and scores if he wants to score. He scores. M- my dad was listening to WEU. Uh, from from back home and said that the announcer said as much that he probably could have scored. That's yeah. how wide open it was. 
you know, of course, you get that touchdown, you're probably still feeling okay, but the 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 smart thing to do is to just right. go down because you know you're going to run out right. the clock. You score. You're not forced to give them ball. You back score. Your chances of winning the game go up exponentially. You take a knee after you got the first down. It's guaranteed. You guaranteed. Uh, right. Unless well, something stupid happens on you the snap. Mo- right. You move. You're it. at ninety nine point nine nine percent instead of probably you have virtually guaranteed 97. to win. Like it still would be very high if right. Wilson scores there because. They, they make it a two-score game. But crazy things have happened. We've seen it well, happen in the NFL. Look at Cheltenham a couple weeks ago where we struggled recovering <laughs> yeah, the couldn't recover kick. the onside kick. So Tommy did a great thing. Uh, it was a great play. Great play call. Great execution. Victory formation. Game ends 21-13. to 13. So it, it was tough this week. It was a very much a team effort all around. Yeah. I thought there was always a different player stepping up at, at different times. We saw great plays from Tommy Hunsaker, uh, Nick Fiorini, uh, Edison Case, Jackson Wagner, uh, also returning after after injury. Jonah Pertet had an interception. Uh, Ryan McMillan was flying all over the field. Maddox Gruber, I believe, actually led the team in tackles. Yeah, six and a half for him. How many tackles did Jonah have? Um, he had. He was next up, five yeah, and a half. Yeah, he had a pass breakup. Eddie had another pass breakup. Um, freshman Michael Glover is the, the one that got credited for the only sack of the game on Jackson Custer, the Cedar Crest quarterback. Uh, Logan Kurzweig had a beautiful tackle for loss. So a lot of guys contributed to this win. This felt like a great team win. It wasn't, you know, last year it seems so many times it was. Cam Jones, Cam Jones did this, Cam Jones did that. Wilson won because of Cam Jones. And that's great. Like, you got to have those players too. If you have a player like that, you're going to win a lot of games. But this one was great because we have a bunch of athletes and key contributors, but and all of them had moments in the spotlight. But there's one guy that I didn't mention, um, and that's because he's our player of the game. And that is Corral Akings, a sophomore running back, defensive back, for his contributions on offense this week. We felt it pertinent to award him our player of the game. For the win against Cedar Crest, Corral had seven rushes for 44 yards and a touchdown. That got the scoring started for Wilson. And then throughout the game, he had four catches for 59 yards and a big touchdown there at the end, near the end of the second quarter to extend Wilson's lead. And Corral looked very shifty in the open field, both running and receiving. And he did all the work on that touchdown catch, getting a little like swing pass from Tommy, yeah. made some guys miss. Because he, he was already over by the sideline. Right. And then he just made some guys Third, miss. I think in, it was about 35 yards. Very little space and uh, went for the touchdown. Yeah. So uh, great performances all around. A lot of uh, people could be considered for this, but we are going with uh, Corral Akings as player of the game. And you will be able to hear from him shortly. As Justin mentioned, we did talk to a few of our student athletes after the game. And uh, Carell is one of those guys, as well as Ryan McMillan and AJ Matta making his not debut. He played very limited last week against Reading, but this was his first full time duty playing the entire game along well, the not, offensive nothing line. Nothing like uh, coming back and having that 87 lined up across. <laughs> right. Him. Yeah. <laughs> having to go against some big boys. Uh, Cedarcrest had some, some big time players over there, literally. 
Yeah. Uh, including, what was it? It's like 6'6", 250, Aiden Shamp. He, he's a beast. So uh, just massive. And there's some games when they when the other guys come out and you're like, oh, is that the guy? Is that? No, no. He no you could tell like, right oh, away. Oh, that's the you one. You knew exactly right. who it was that everyone had been talking about all week. Yes, for sure. So a few other stats from the game. Cedar Chris had more first downs, 18 to Wilson's 12. They also had more net rushing yards, 177 for the Falcons to 148 for the Bulldogs. Passing does go to Wilson, 162 to 138. Both teams did throw some interceptions, two for Jackson Custer, one for Tommy Hunsaker. Total offensive yards, I mentioned this in the interview with the players too. Cedar Chris actually outgained Wilson very close though, 315 to 3. 10 is the red zone stat on there yeah it's what was going down so third down wilson did very well six of nine on third down that's That's a that's very good for the bulldogs four of nine for cedar crest not as good uh for the falcons and they were also one of two on fourth down red zone however wilson two of two on red zone cedar crest two of five so gonna, right there is going to be a problem for you. Yeah, I and mean, you could point to that's an issue for Cedar Crest, but also turnovers were an well, issue for Wilson. Jonah made a big play. Eddie made a big play. You know, in in a game you win by one touchdown. Right, and so Cedar Crest only scored on two of their five red zone possessions. They also missed an extra point and they missed a field goal. Right. Turned the ball over. I know they had at one least nice. Twice. I think they had one nice kickoff return, but. Edison had the, the return inside the 10, at least, maybe inside the five. I don't exactly remember, but like really close. Um, ben made all three of his extra points. He was booming the ball on the kickoff, too. Yeah, they were. Um, both of them. Right. So, like, it was it was good. Uh, special teams special teams looked pretty good. Uh, Monty made a great tackle on our first punt. I, I mean, it, it, just, it just reminded me of, like, the way you're coached. He, he's, you know. He's the gunner on 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 the side I was on. That's why I I could just see it happening, and he's keeping his outside free. You know, he's keeping his outside free. He's flying down there. Guy goes around and he just makes the tackle like right away. Like that's like those little things are huge. You know, because especially in high school, high school punting can be erratic at best. You know, like it, it can be erratic sometimes. So if you can limit it so that like however far we punt it, that's basically where they're taking over. That that's huge. You know, and and you flip that to because they didn't have many punts, but like when they punted, you know, one of those times we were able to set up a score. So making things happen when we're punting, I know that sounds ridiculous, but making things happen when we're receiving the punt too, those things add up over the course of a game. Absolutely. And also adding up was time of possession, leaning Cedar Crest way, especially in the fourth quarter. Overall, the Falcons had it 25 minutes, 28 seconds to Wilson's 22-32. But Wilson's time of possession dropped from seven minutes in the second quarter to under four minutes in the fourth quarter as Cedar Crest had the ball hawking drive that thankfully didn't result in any points that lasted um, well, not that drive. That drive itself was about almost seven minutes, but they had it for over eight minutes in the fourth quarter. Yeah. So and and you know, and a, a long drive that results in no points. That's 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 a tough heartbreaking. One. Yeah, yeah, that's debilitating. So Wilson's leading rusher for the game was Nick Fiorini, eleven carries, seventy-one yards, running hard. He was. He picked up a, a few uh, important conversions or big gains throughout the night to uh, keep the chains moving. Tommy Hunsaker was the leading passer, only passer for the Bulldogs, 10 of 13, 162 yards and two touchdowns. He's now eclipsed his passing total of a year ago already, and we're only hopefully 
not quite halfway through the year. A regular season. We're halfway through the regular maybe, season. Maybe we're only a third of the way through that the season. That would be right? perfection, wouldn't it? And Corral Akings was the leading receiver, four for 59. Uh, next up was Jacqueline Wagner, who had two catches for 47 yards. And we talked about the the defense. And, uh, yeah, just an, another good night all around. Like I said, a lot of people contributing offensively and defensively. I thought this was a great step up for the defense. They had sort of that bend but don't break mentality, which a lot of great defenses have to have. You have to be able to come up with those turnovers and big stops, and Wilson's defense was able to do that. So kudos to the defensive staff led by defensive coordinator Ernie Wolber for their ability to eventually corral Jackson Custer and cut down on the running game of Marquez and Abreu and keep Aiden Champ in check. I actually don't know how many, do we know how many catches? I, I don't. I oh, don't let me know. look that up before we move on. Uh, so Jackson Custer was the leading rusher, 78 yards and a touchdown. He was 13 of 22 for 138 yards, two interceptions. Uh, Owen Chernich was their leading for, receiver, eight for 49, and Champ had two catches for 19 yards. So you have someone of that size getting me, those offers. Right. And no that's, touchdowns, that's good. Right? No touchdowns. So Correct, like, no touchdowns so for So you him. tell me he gets two catches for 19 yards and no touchdowns, I would have signed up for that on Thursday. Yeah, I would say Wilson's yeah. winning that game, which yep. which they did. So, All right. Well, you know what that means, Justin. We're done with week five. On to game six. Well, did you want to do the interviews? Oh, yeah, you're right. Thank you. Thank you. I'm, I'm glad I ha- do have them here ready to go. Hey, I don't need you hey, to. Hey, listen, I'm good for like one helpful thing a season. So this was it. <laughs> this it took, is it. It took okay. me to halfway point. Let me, but, let, me, uh, let me cash that yeah. in for you. Yes, Check mark. Yes. All right. I'll so, get invited back for next year. <laughs> All right. So we did. We caught up not only with the players I mentioned, but also head coach Doug Dom. So let's listen to those uh, interviews here now before we move on to talk about Mifflin. All right, welcome post game at Cedar Crest, a Wilson victory, league play, twenty-one to thirteen over the Falcons. Guys, how that one feel? Great. Oh, good. Great. We needed that league win. What was the game plan going in this week? What was being harped on, both offensively and defensively? What did you want to focus on? Running the ball. Because the past few weeks we, didn't, we haven't had a run game, so this game we really wanted to show what we could do on the line. And we got that. Two of our linemen here, Matta, your first full game back. How'd that feel? Felt great. Feel good to be back. I'm glad we got the win. Dominated a little bit. Slow start, but we got the win. Yeah, I heard everyone yelling and cheering for you, hyping you up on the sideline. <laughs> now, you guys were leading the way. You talked about one of the focus on the run game. Fiorini, lots of great carries. This man right here, how about his game tonight? Yeah, he had a good game. He's, he's coming around. Yeah, so we got Corral, not just one touchdown, two, and not just in the running game, but also yeah. in the receiving game. Was that a focal point? Of your game plan this week, the swing passes, the quick passes to you, uh, was Coach Palm harping on that? Yeah, we were trying to reach the goal of getting past like 200 yards, but Don's told us that we needed to show other teams in the how we can both run and pass the ball. Very even, both teams, over 300 yards total, uh, Cedar Crest 315, you guys 310, overall very good game. Uh, went up big, 21-6, to end of the uh, first half, second half came out. A couple turnovers. What was your reaction in the huddle? What were you telling each other as you went out there to try to seal the game? Uh, just about the next play. Not so about the next play. Like, yeah, we have some of the turns around, but there's a lot of plays in the football game. You know, one play doesn't define the game, whether it went or lost for us. So we use that as motivation to come out, whether that was on a fumble and making a stop on defense or giving up that big play and getting a goal line stop. 
we just knew we had to come together for that next play. Three straight wins after an 0-2 start. Starting to get things rolling. What do you have to say about Mifflin Week? It's Mifflin Week. Not much to say. Keep pushing. Know what it is. All right, guys. Congratulations on the victory. Great to see you guys back. I think everyone's healthy now, ready to rock and roll. Great win tonight. Good luck next week, and hope to talk to you again soon. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that was our post-victory interview session with three Wilson football players, and we will continue to rotate through the team, try to uh, hit as many as possible in those discussions after victories, and certainly hope we get to do that this Friday night, Justin. But we also talked to Coach Dom, so uh, we don't need to wait any longer. Let's hear what the old bowl coach had to say after this win. You ready? All right, Coach Doms, congratulations. A victory over Cedar Crest here. Game five, your third win of the season. What was your focus with the team this week? What did you want them to uh, to really uh, hammer down on? This was a week where we just said, let's get down to basics. Let's run a good offense. Let's run the ball. Let's throw the ball. Let's feel comfortable about what we're doing. Let's play good defense again. You know, and, and let's play good special teams. In other words, let's play a game where all three phases of the game are good. And we started out all right, but we, we're still shooting ourselves in the foot too much. Penalties, uh, and then the turnovers in the second half. This seemed to be one of the better, if not the best Cedar Crest team that they've had in a number of years. Did that come through on tape and on the field tonight? Yeah, I, I said when we looked at them on tape, I said I thought it was the best team they've had in 10 years. And uh, you know, at least they were scrappy. So we had the opportunity to put them away, and, you know, but you know, turnovers and penalties and missed tackles kept them in the game. So those are all things we got to correct. Were you happy with the way the offense played tonight? I know the focus was, at least initially, wanting to get the ground game going. That's been a little bit of an issue so far. Did you think there was a nice balance tonight? Um, what do you think about the offense? We're still not ground and pound. We're still we're getting to the blocks. We're not sustaining the blocks. And that's something that we work on, and we got to continue to work on and get better at it because you know, we're going to get to teams later down the road that you know, that's not going to be good enough. There was a, a quote in the paper over the summer from Coach Lebassin from Cedar Crest. Did that figure into uh, any of your talking points or discussions leading up to this game? Um, Coach Wolber expressed some sentiments on it. You know, I, I pretty much just you know talked about you know I talked a little bit about Levi Haynes, the kid with muscular dystrophy that has become a, a friend of our program and cheers for the Bulldogs, even though he goes to Cedar Crest. Uh, and they just talked about you know the sacrifices they've made and uh, would sacrifice a Falcon tonight. So, <laughs> uh, so Mifflin Week now. You know we can always throw the records out when we play the Mustangs. Mifflin uh, looking stronger this year at the beginning of the season than last year. Uh, what do you think of Mifflin before diving deep into the film? What are your uh, takeaways so far? I think they've gone back to you know. All run the ball you know they got all their way forward they're a little back to their basic wing tee and they're just they're coming off the ball and, and they're starting to figure out how to run the ball so uh you know we're gonna have to play tough up front you know and uh control the football all right coach well thanks for joining us we're going to talk to you in a bit uh great win tonight fun to do it in front of uh, some fans here to watch uh which is great <laughs> Uh, so we'll let you go, and we'll make sure we get that locker room cleaned up before we leave. Well, it's always nice to uh, have it when you need it, which we did tonight. So thanks. Thanks, Coach. You bet.
All right. So that was Justin in my post-game interview with Coach Doug Doms. We hadn't talked to him since the preseason, so we wanted to get that in, especially after the big league victory over Cedar Crest. Wanted to get him with a couple questions there, Justin, see his reaction, because a lot had been made about Coach Wildassen's comments in the preseason. I know it was reprinted by Mike Drago this past week, but he didn't go all Ryan Day. No, uh, he, unfortunately, uh, he, he didn't give us any great soundbite. He uh, actually deflected really well and, and talked about a worthwhile cause absolutely. instead of the uh, possibility of there being some tension amongst the teams because of that preseason quote. And uh, I honestly, I don't expect him to do anything less. But, no, you know, we no. got to ask because that was a huge thing. He did talk that. Right. Uh, and it wasn't just something that like, oh, we had heard or was kind of like a rumor thing, like on the record was said, you know, so. So it's out there to be asked about and to be talked about. Um, so we we did. We have to ask that question, and and, uh, and we did. And Coach Doms did the very Coach Doms uh, answer and deflected to something that <laughs> something is, much is, more important, is greater, much more and worthy, than a game right? Of much more worthy of him talking. Sure. About. So, uh, uh, but yeah, I appreciate him taking the time because he did have former. LVC roommates there to yeah, watch the yeah, game. We got yeah. to to listen to them reminisce and figure out that Coach Doms was inducted to the LVC Hall of Fame in 1993. Right. So right. that that was uh, something that I was furiously searching yes. uh, post game to find out to uh, to to let them know. I'll but, never forget the time I was with uh, Coach Doms in Virginia, right, chaperoning. I was helping chaperone a trip, and uh, someone had to go get some medical attention, and they go in and. And Dom's knew the doctor. Of course like, he did. Yeah. Like I would expect from nothing his time less. at LBC. Right. Yeah. Exactly. All right. Because of course he does. All right, Justin. So now are we good to go now? Should we move on? You have my permission okay, to move we on. Can go. All right, good, yes. good. So I knew it was time to move on when I pulled <laughs> well, I'm, up. I am glad you yeah, remembered. Yeah. I'm glad you you remembered that. All right. So here we are now, week six. I put the schedule back up there, starting that second column. Governor Mifflin Mustangs coming to Gursky for the first time since twenty twenty. You remember we played there in Shillington the last two years, going one and one in those two games. So this senior class with uh, you know the likes of Tommy Hunsaker and Edison Case and Jack Dendel, um, Logan Kurzweig, uh, you know all the all the seniors have never played Mifflin. If they weren't up as freshmen, they haven't say, so played Jack right. So has, Jack has. Right. Uh, if they weren't on the team as freshmen, they have not yet played Mifflin at Gursky. So this is their opportunity to not only beat Mifflin for the second straight year go out on top in that rivalry, winning two out of three, doing it at home. And that's uh, always a, a big thing. So here we go. Mustangs coming to town, looking much better this season than they did last year. Justin, remember they finished three and seven a year ago after looking like world beaters in 2020 and 2021. Three and seven was a, a tough pill to swallow for them in Shillington. But after this past Friday's win against Muhlenberg, 49 to seven, they've already equaled their win total from a year ago and have their season mark set at three and two. They open the year with a loss at Springford and former Wilson assistant coach Chad Brubaker's squad. Who only has one loss, I believe. To Manheim Township. Township. Yes. Yeah, Springford beat Mifflin 49 to 19. Mifflin responded, though, by returning home 
and beating Carlisle, 6A squad out of the mid-pen, 28-21. And that one was a bit of a surprise to me. I was not expecting that, and they are actually up big and 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 were able to hold on. I think they right. were up they were up at least twenty one to seven, uh, if not twenty eight to twenty on. I don't recall, but Mifflin winning that game was a little bit of a surprise to me and made me reconsider how strong Mifflin was going to be this year. Right. They then beat up on Boyertown pretty good the next week, also at home on on Saturday, thirty five to sixteen. That was the wacky week three slate of games where things got moved around because yeah. of the the rain. They did go to Exeter then two, two games ago, week four at Exeter, lost 31 to 10. But again, Exeter is seen as co- probably co favorites in section two of the LL League there with Manheim Central or Cacalico. Yeah, Exeter's on- in the lead right now. I know it's early, right? But I, Exeter hasn't lost yet, have they? Correct. And I said Cacalico. I did not mean right. Cacalico because Cacalico is not in section two. That's a district. F- District uh, 3 yeah. 5A right. matchup that Exeter could have. Uh, no, in the running with Exeter and Manheim Central would probably be, I mean, it would have to either be Warwick or Conestoga Valley. And honestly, I think it's most likely going to be that Week 10 game featuring Manheim Central and Exeter to oh, determine who wins that section. Um, uh, you know, unless Mifflin has something to say about that, but they already lost to Exeter, so it's going to be tough for the Mustangs to hang yeah. around. Mifflin comes to Wilson this week, September 29th, 7 o'clock at Gursky before hosting Conestoga Valley, going to Lebanon, going to Manheim Central, and finishing at home against Warwick on October 27th. Three and seven a year ago, got the three wins now. I think Mifflin. I think Mifflin's good enough to get at least to 500. Uh, they have a, a few tough games remaining. Obviously, Wilson's one of them. Then Conestoga Valley is right after that, and they are currently four and one with only a one point loss to Garden Spot. And I think maybe what second or third year into a new coach. I think maybe second yeah. full year into a coach. Uh, yeah, I don't remember third, when they right. made that coaching change. But like, so they've got a new system there, and it maybe, seems to be maybe working. It's working for them. Yeah. They uh they only have the uh, one point loss to Garden Spot, who is undefeated. So Conestoga Valley certainly not a team to overlook for the Mustangs. They then go to Lebanon, and Lebanon hasn't won a game I think in twenty three contests now. It's been over two seasons, so that should be an easy one for Mifflin to win. Then they got to go to Mannheim to take on the Barons and finish with Warwick. And I know Warwick is struggling right now. They beat Cocalico in week one. I will keep coming back to that because it's nutty. Like that's just crazy to me that yeah. that Warwick beat them in in the the first week of the season. But uh, Mifflin has some some winnable games, a couple push games, and then a couple that they're going to be fighting for. Uh, I hope Wilson is one of those, but that's not the way Justin and I talk here on the show. So right. we know that this is a game that Wilson's going to fight for against the rivals because we know in rivalry games, Justin. Records don't matter. No, it doesn't We've matter at all. We've seen it plenty of times in this series that a team that was supposedly on paper better, they, they lose. Right. It's ha- and as Wilson's come out on top of those and has been defeated in games like that. Well, and, you know, you look you look at, like like you said, what was it, week two when they played Carlisle? That, that was kind of like an eye-opener win because uh, it just wasn't something you expected. You know, you look at Wilson's schedule. Um, you know, the Cedar Crest win is probably our best win so far. 
no, I take that back. Cedar Crest win is Wilson's best win so far. Um, so, you know, like there are still some unknowns about, about the Wilson team. I, we, we talk about it every week here. I, I think they're building. I think they're, uh, you know, getting to where we need to be come October. And, um, you know, you, you've got this weekend. It's not technically October yet, but it, it's, it's coming and they, hopefully Wilson continues to, to grow and, and build off of those experiences, you know, like just like we did coming off of the, the rough start, uh, continue to correct those things, continue to get better so that as you go into, um, you know, this week coming up, like you said, you know, you're going to get Mifflin's best shot. You, you know, you know, these kids that are over there don't want to go out with two straight losses to Wilson, you know, like just like our guys want to go out with two straight wins against Mifflin. Like you're going to get their absolute best shot. Um, and you got to be ready. You, and, and you got to balance it because you got to play, you know, you got to prepare as if this is your biggest game. I know that's, that's the attitude every week. You're right. You know, but like you got to prepare, but then, like in the moment, you can't make it bigger than that moment. Does that make sense? Like you mm-hmm. can't right. can't try and do too much at any one time. You just do your job, play that play. Um, I think it was Ryan in the, in the interview was talking like about one play at a time. Right. Um, you know, and and when something happens, good or bad, you're on to the next play because that last play you cannot change anymore. So, just kind of looking at that, you know, there's going to be ups and downs in the game. I thought that was one of the things I mentioned earlier that I thought we did really well. We didn't get too high or too low in the game. Um, and because of that, you're able to kind of ride out and, and just move on to that next play mentality. And hopefully they can get a good week of practice in. Um, you know, it wasn't wasn't a great weekend like outside. So hopefully, hopefully <laughs> people are like rested and, you know, because um, that was a physical game against against Cedar Crest as well. Oh, definitely. Um, so, and, and we're coming out of, you know, you're, you're just coming out of like two weeks ago with that weird week where the game was extended the whole time. Then you played Reading on short rest and all of this stuff. So like, hopefully we're back into a routine now and uh, we can really start to hit our stride here last week of September and start, keep getting better each week through, through October and just see where we're at. Uh, hopefully play well into November. Yeah, so the the 5A Mustangs, Section 2 in the LL, led by head coach Jeff Lang, who's already on his seventh season, believe it or not, Justin. I don't believe uh, it. He has them uh, 46 how and 20 enter this year. I know, how crazy is that? Uh, obviously, the Mustangs are going to run their base midline option or veer set, and they, uh, they've seemed to have found a, a good trio to be running that in uh, quarterback Javian Pletz. And then running backs, slot backs, fullbacks, w- wing backs, whatever you want to call them. Grady Garner, who leads the team in rushing with 498 yards and five touchdowns. Brandon Jones, who I talked about already on the show, saying how impressed I was by him last year. Yes. And I was disappointed to see that he was back for Mifflin <laughs> in 2023. Uh, he has 37 attempts, 230 yards, and two touchdowns. Uh, Pletz, the quarterback, is next. Actually, more attempts than Jones. Uh, fewer yards, though, at 227, but he does have four touchdowns. Um, Reese Hole, Chase Huber, and Javian Sanchez also have rushing touchdowns to go with them. Pletz has not attempted a lot of passes, and if you're familiar with 
the Mifflin offense, you understand that that's just the way it works. He had you gotta attempted, be prepared for it, though. Right, you do, because it can hit you right, at the wrong right. time. They don't do many of them, but if you're not ready for it, here it comes, and it can be a backbreaker. So he has attempted 31 passes, completing just 12, which is only not even 40%. 214 yards, though, on those 12 completions for three touchdowns to go with three interceptions. The leading receiver in yardage is Lamario Norton with 53. 53- 53 yards on two catches. Travis Jenkins has one catch for 37 yards, and then Brandon Jones next, three catches for 34 yards. Although the three touchdown passes are all to guys that have only caught one pass all year, LeBron Leaf. Hey, make it count. Derek DiNatale and Reese Hull. So, yeah, that is a little bit overview of the key skill guys for the Mustangs, but obviously in their offense, the way they like to run things and control things on defense, it's the big boys in the trench that matter the most. And Coach Jeff Lang with his lineman pedigree obviously was disappointed with the way things went last year. And he says they will, quote, definitely be better along the offensive line led by junior center Gavin Kelly, Presley Rinker, another junior uh, senior Kabin Torre at his excuse me, a left guard and sophomore Dylan Worley and senior Stuart Janowski on the right side. So they are a, a young unit, yeah, three underclassmen. Say, not a fan of that. Uh, I be, actually, and I believe Pletz is an underclassman as well. Uh, Brandon Jones is a senior, so you don't have to worry about that. Uh, Grady Garner, I think, might be an underclassman as well. So I think Michi- or Michigan, <laughs> Mifflin uh, is already building for next no, year. Those are Saturday Warriors. <laughs> right, yeah, exactly right. Um, so we'll, we'll see. We'll see what happens. Uh, a bunch of those linemen that start on offense will also play on defense. Rinker, Seifert, um, Torrey, obviously, Janowski, Kelly uh, also should be joined by Ismail Ayala, uh, a big body along the defensive line. Brandon Jones plays linebacker for them. That's where he stood out to me last year. Um, but Aiden Cannon and Daniel bon- Bonafadini also back there, according to Lancaster Online. So. Uh, We'll see what happens. It's always interesting when Wilson and Mifflin get together. The Bulldogs had been dominating the series for a while until the latter stages of Nick Singleton's prep career had Wilson getting mercy ruled in back-to-back games in 2020 and 2021. That you know that and that followed a, a, a year in which Wilson had one of their most dominating, if not the most dominating, victory in the series in 2019. Um, that was a fun night. I enjoyed that. I'd like to see that again. Uh-huh. Wilson putting up 60-some points uh, and not yielding points until your JVs and backups were in. I don't expect that's the way things are going to go, Justin, just knowing how, yeah, much, like how improved a, Mifflin like, is. I feel like that's an outlier. And based on what we've seen, yeah, I'm, I, it, you know, I would take it. I'm not, I'm, I don't think that's the way it's going to go. No, I don't either. But hopefully the Bulldogs are up to the task as Mifflin comes to Gursky this Friday night, 7 o'clock, for game six of the 2023 season. Crazy. Anything else from you, Justin? Anything you wanted to say? Um, no. I think, um, you know, they should should be ready. Um, you know, wait, there's nothing you have to say to the guys. They're absolutely going to be ready for, for the Mifflin game. Um, but like I said, just you, you're not going to go out there and – and do everything in, in one play. You, you got to make sure that you've got, you understand what you're supposed to do on any given play and just make, make the play, right? Make the play. Um, 
you know, we had guys doing that, whether it was, um, you know, Edison with the, with the pick in the end zone, whether it was, um, you know, Jonah's pick, whether it was Tommy sliding, you know, there were countless examples the other night of guys making plays in big times. And again, yeah, you, you look at, at those at the end, the, the, interception in the end zone and, and uh, run for the first down at the end. But like that was set up, like you said, by some hard runs by Nick, you know, and that was, uh, we got them in a situation where they were in, you know, fourth and long because of some penalties, but because we were stout up front defensively, like there's all kinds of things that go into it. You just need to make that play and then be ready for the next one. And they were very yeah. good. Uh, yeah. And that, that's a good sign. I think that's a good sign. Build off of that. Build off of that and and come into, um, come into this week, being ready to make even more. Last thing I want to say on episode ten of the season nine of the Bulldog Hour here is that Friday night's game will be band night. It'll also be the annual whiteout game for Wilson that started years back, similar to what Penn State has done just obviously on a much, much smaller scale. I'd be fine if but, the result meant <laughs> Right, 31 nothing. Yeah, I'd take that. Uh, and WEU will be there to broadcast the game. Obviously, I believe Wilson Media Productions will be there for video options on their YouTube page and also shared on the Wilson School District Facebook account so you can watch the game should you not be able to join us at Gursky Stadium this Friday night for our annual rivalry game with the Governor Mifflin Mustangs. But I think that's it for us here at the Bulldog Hour. Thank you for joining us. We'll be back again in one week's time. For Justin Raffoff and the entire Wilson football program, I'm Joe Mays. And until next time, remember, go Bulldogs. Thanks for listening to this week's episode of the Bulldog Hour. Want more Wilson football? Follow the show on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Or visit www.bulldoghour.com. The Bulldog Hour is a feature program on jmnjrradio.com.